Socks on 35th is next. Doors open on the left. How's it going, everybody? My name is Duke Coughlin, and welcome to the Socks on 35th podcast. We are back with another exciting episode covering your Chicago White Sox. As always, I'm joined by our panelists, Jordan Lazowski and Nick Gower. Gentlemen, I can probably guess, but how are you guys doing? You know, I uh, I coach a team, um, and one, one of the players, who's a Sox fan, sent me this funny thing that he found the other day, like about fandom. It's like, you know, we pick our favorite team when we're like 70 years old, and we let them ruin the rest of our lives. And I, I think it's a weird thing. Like, fandom's a weird thing when you really stop and think about it. Um, and the concept of letting a team just ruin days and weeks is certainly relevant, uh, when it comes to the White Sox. I'm doing about as good as you can do after the, the, the week we've been on. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm doing all right. I guess the win today is, is good. Although it's hard for me to look, we'll talk about it more of course, but it's hard for me to look at that win and think, oh, we're on the right track, given that. So much still went wrong during the game. I mean, of course, you just need a win, and they got one, and that's great. But, yeah, I'm, I'm doing all right. I have um, another business trip this week, so it'll be another excuse to not watch the team, depending on how they do. Um, so I guess it ended up being convenient that I had so many early in the year, but we'll see how that goes. Because I, th- I think this week, at least, getting back to some AL Central teams and non-Tampa Bay race teams will, will should be helpful. If uh, if I don't see the Tampa Bay Rays, Toronto Blue Jays, or Philadelphia Phillies um, anytime soon, I will be totally fine. Um, but, man, I think Andrew Vaughn just encapsulated it today. Um, guys, we won a baseball game. <laughs> I, I don't think you could have put a better stamp on just what the past week of uh, White Sox baseball has been. But um, we have quite a bit to cover in this episode, so before we get started, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, anywhere else you get your podcasts. Um, also, be sure to check out the website at SoxOn35th.com, as well as following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at SoxOn35th. I do know on the website there is going to be a lot of... Uh, a lot of scathing hot pieces about the White Sox right now. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of articles about where the team needs to go, uh, where the team is hopefully going to go, and where the team probably should have done in the past. So uh, be on the lookout if you're kind of kind of like that type of thing. Um, I know, um, especially uh, my t- my YouTube channel, it's just chock full of uh, predictive type of analysis like that. So uh, be sure to go on to SoxOn35th.com. I'm assuming there's going to be a lot of good articles popping out here soon. Uh, but anyway, gentlemen, um, recapping the win that kind of uh, closed out, put a stamp on the crazy one of the one of the just peak and valley type weeks of White Sox baseball that I've seen in a while. Um, the White Sox went twelve to nine on the Andrew Vaughn walk off. <sighs> we won a baseball game. I, I I don't know any other way to put it. Um, I, I'm really happy with how the guys played today as far as hustle hustle went. Um, I think uh, I think you find out a lot about people's character in situations like this. But uh, Nick, I'll let you just uh, start off the top here. How are you feeling about the game today? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be honest. I wasn't watching in the bottom of the ninth because I mean, it was nine to five. Like, what, what are the odds that the White Sox <laughs> actually put up good at bats? I don't I've, know I've if watched. anybody don't, don't could worry. blame you, buddy. <laughs> but continue. Right. Yeah. No. I mean, I, I. Yeah, I went to the game on Thursday. Actually, just a quick aside. And uh, I know Duke, you were saying this before we started recording, but I also, I left that game early too, because why, who wants to do that? And the NFL draft was on, so I was like, why am I here? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it's been rough, but the game today, I think, again, to be clear, I have gone back and since watched, but I think that the ninth inning was cool just because like, even that Jake Berger, like bloop double, that it felt like I was watching the Cleveland Guardians, like just the way how that was like such a, I mean, it, not to take away from Berger, he's like actually been really good, but that particular hit was like really like you, you blooped it like perfectly in that one spot where the outfielders couldn't catch it. And then after that, it was like hit after hit after hit. And it's like, okay, this is like, this feels like one of those like wins of destiny. Like you're not really playing that well, obviously, but the hits just keep coming and then Vaughn, I mean, the Vaughn home run was no, no cheap shot either. I mean, that was absolutely crushed. So I think Duke, you kind of summed it up already. Like they won the game and that's really the only like legitimate takeaway that, that you should have because a lot went wrong, a lot went right. But I mean, ideally they, you know, got it off their chest now and they can play a little looser, more relaxed. And like you said, they were, they were playing hard. They were, they were hustling more, I think. 
I mean, obviously we'll talk about this too, but with the Robert Jr. situation from the other day, I'm sure that message got through to people like, hey, we could get benched if we aren't trying hard. The fans are obviously very upset. Like, whatever it was, something something was different today, and it was good to see a win. Yeah, it just... it. It felt good to kind of like, again, you're sitting there, I'm writing the recap. It's like, oh, I'm smiling. It's it's like, that's why you watch this stuff. Like, you can say you want them to lose. You can say you want them to tear it down. And I, I at a certain point, like, any qualms negatively about the White Sox, the front office, the players, top to bottom, I, I don't think anyone has um, a case where it's like, you know, too much negativity is incorrect at a certain point. Like, I think anyone's negativity is completely valid. But at the end of the day, it felt nice to sit back and just smile and enjoy a win. Um, it's not something we've gotten to do recently. Um, and as you could see, him start to slowly build back and build back and build back. I'm like, oh, they might actually do this. And, and it was cool to see. Um, doesn't take away from what was a bad week, but in terms of some of the positives, I think what this is now three straight really good starts uh, from starting pitchers. You had Giolito, Lynn, Clevenger all had really good starts uh, these past three games. If you're looking for positive just outside of the ninth inning, which, Nick, to your point, one inning isn't going to change the tides of the season necessarily. But if you're going to fix this somehow, continuing to build on good starting pitching um, is certainly one place to start. There's a lot more negative. Um, certainly the bullpen, certainly um, eight innings worth of at-bats weren't good. Um, but at the end of the day, we're baseball fans. We're White Sox fans. It's nice to see a win. Um, I don't want to lose sight of that in what has been such a terrible, terrible stretch. So when I was watching this game today, I kind of, because I watched the entire thing, um, I guess one thing I had to stop and kind of remind myself is the expectations going into the season as I was watching this game, because this game felt like a rebuild era White Sox game. Um, we're bad. We have had a tough stretch of games. Um, obviously, when you're rebuilding, you know, you, you're losing a lot of games. But I mean, when you're a diehard fan, you're trying to watch as many of them as you can. And especially on Sundays, you always try to turn it on, something like that. But, like, watching this game felt like that type of era where a lot of these guys just felt like they had nothing to lose. And that's why they were playing the way they were playing. And sometimes it's that simple to be able to get yourself out of a, out of a losing streak like that because I think those guys showed up to the ballpark today. They're like, the fans are upset. Everyone's upset. We are getting destroyed on every possible um, medium. Twitter is destroying us. Um, all the analysts on TV are destroying us. Um, Ozzy Gain is destroying us. Chuck Garfine is destroying us. Like we are, we legitimately have nowhere to go, but up like we have had the absolute worst run of baseball that we've had as a group since then. And they showed up and they played hard for nine innings. And when you play hard for nine innings, sometimes that'll work out for you, you know, playing hard, people who played hard, never regretted it, man. And uh, I really think that was what we kind of saw out of this team. And it was an incredibly positive sign for a stretch that has been incredibly negative. So, Jordan, I'm with you. I think I think negativity is very much warranted. I think if you don't want to go to a, base, a White Sox game for the foreseeable future, I don't blame you one bit. You know, I, I had people who were laughing about the fact that I went to the game yesterday. And you know what? They were right to laugh because it didn't turn out very well for me, unfortunately. It was one of the first games in a long time that I left before the ninth inning. And um, it, it sucked because it, um, I'm referring to the game Saturday against the Rays for anybody that's listening. Um, you felt a little bit in the air that's, uh, yesterday with Lance Lynn on the mound and really dealing. You know, it felt like Lance Lynn of, of old and, you know, it was a devastating loss, but today was just so refreshing. You know, I guess that's the best way I can put it. Was it, was it perfect? No, you know, Reynaldo had a rough, had a rough go. You know what I mean? Um, there, there were times where Romy Gonzalez reminded us that we're still watching White Sox baseball, you know, but at the same time, it was just, it was, it was so refreshing to see these guys just never quit. And that's something that whether you're good or bad, that's something you just can never lose because 
that's the only way you can get out of a stretch of baseball like the White Sox just did is playing hard. Um, even guys that were struggling, they've stayed up. You know, Aloy Jimenez, I never don't see a smile on Aloy Jimenez's face when he's talking to his teammates. And Aloy's not having a great start to the year this year. But you want to know what? He's somebody that's engaged. And I think that's something that's really positive. And I think somebody, I think he's somebody who's actually start, started to step up as a leader during this losing streak because he's tried to keep guys up, you know? And I think that's, uh, you'll always see more character out of players um, during losing streaks than you will on a winning streak. And uh, I think, I think you see, you see the blue collar team that Ozzy game was calling for. That's, that's what I saw today. And um, that's what I hope to see continue moving forward. I did like your comment about the rebuilding team. And it was all the way down to Adam Hazley of all people being four for five. Um, if that doesn't, if that doesn't encapsulate a rebuild era win, I don't know what does. Um, but I, I do like the points about, you know, again, this is a team that has gone through a shitstorm for the lack of a better term to come out and just to see the relief on their faces. Like Vaughn, when Benani's asking, what are you feeling? How are you feeling? It's like, we just want a baseball game. Like, thank God. Like at, at the end of the day for that to be the reaction, it's like you, you understand what these guys were going through. You feel for the players in those situations as frustrated as we all are with the team owners all our ownership all the way down to the players as frustrated as every single fan is you feel bad for the players at a certain point they don't want to be there in that situation anymore than we want to watch them in those situations um and i think vaughn's reaction was a good reminder of that yeah well i just i just think uh i just think the best way to encapsulate all of it is uh these guys are professional athletes. They're paid to. They're paid to win. They're paid to play well. Nobody wants to play bad, you know. Um, I think I think fans might lose sight of that a little bit sometimes. And I'm glad you brought up the players' side of that, Jordan, because they these guys aren't losing on purpose. It's not that they just aren't out there. And good majority, if not all of them, care about losing, winning, and losing. You know what I mean? Like it's not like they're just going out there to go through the motions. Like nobody wants to be known as that guy who got paid a lot of money to play baseball, but was awful. You know what I mean? Unless maybe like Bobby Bonilla, but that's, that's an entirely different story for an entirely different reason. Um, but yeah, I just, I just like seeing the heart that we saw out of him today. And I think, uh, hopefully that can get us moving in the right direction. But Jordan, moving on to our next point a little bit here. I'm glad you brought up Adam Hazley because the obvious elephant in the room was Adam Hazley played today because of a perceived lack of effort from Luis Robert on, in Saturday's game during the first inning. Um, and I know we have preached accountability um, really since we started this podcast as far as is Pedro Grafal going to hold these guys accountable? Like, I think we used it a lot when it came to Hanser Alberto because that was kind of the Pedro Grafal utility guy that he brought up. Like, is this a guy that he's going to stick with? Um, but we saw accountability to one of the biggest players on this team in Luis Robert, you know, Luis Robert sat today, um, obviously was healthy enough to take an at bat, but he sat today because he wasn't, he wasn't showing effort during a staggering losing streak. And I think I, I, I really respect Grafal for that. I think that was a good move. I think it was the right move. And Adam Hazley playing the way he did today looked like a guy who wanted to be there. He looked like a guy who wanted to be playing baseball. And he looked like a guy that wanted to win a baseball game and that he was going to give everything that he had to do it. Is he as talented as Luis Robert? Pfft, come on. They're not even in the same stratosphere. But to see a guy go out there, seize an opportunity, and show the type of hustle we need to be seeing from our star players, I, I I give a golf clap to Adam Hazley. Great day today. Where were you when the Adam Hazley game happened? Yeah, it's nice for a good a good guy, someone who's clearly working hard, to have a good game. Um, I think the larger discussion point that I think it only feels natural to transition to is Luis Robert. The more you learned about that situation yesterday, whether it was the initial lack of hustle all the way down to um, the end of the game and Luis at Roberts' press conference that was followed by Pedro Grafal's press conference. No, nothing got better as the day went on. And it grew from, oh, is he hurt? To, oh, did he not hustle? To not only was there a perceived lack of hustle, but there was a complete lack of communication from the player. And I think when you look at that situation as a whole, you know, there are people who want to jump and, and say Sox fans are being way too harsh on Luis Robert with this one. I 
for for someone like me who doesn't tend on the negative side of things, I, I think that's ridiculous. I, I think you have to take a step back and look at this and say, this was a player that either did one of two things. He either um, did not communicate with his manager that he was hurt and decided to, on multiple occasions, not tell his manager he was hurt and then for the first time hear about it when or we, we, they heard about it for the first time when he told the media or he flat out lied and he didn't hustle. Neither of those is a good scenario. The, the fact that he went out there, it, it was so clear. And you can hear it in what Pedro Grafal said. You know, if he had just told us that he was hurt today, give us 100% of what you've got that day. He didn't know he had less than 100% because Robert decided not to tell anybody on multiple occasions and then decided to tell the media as one of the first times he did it. A lot of people on, on Twitter saying, oh, you're too harsh. It's not fair to him. You know, don't don't get the pitchforks out just yet. That's ridiculous. Like, you are paid a lot of money. And not only that, you are in the middle of a 5-for-55 stretch in which your team has lost nine in a row and you can't be bothered to communicate to the rest of the staff or hustle on the play. Give what you have for that play. Given the situation, it's the principle of the situation is you need to be better in that situation. I don't like dogging on guys consistently, especially because we don't know everything. We're bloggers. They're Major League Baseball players. But if you take a look at that situation from the information that's been given from Robert, from Grafal, and um, from from the White Sox PR department when the initial reports came out, it was a manager's decision. It's a com- it's a completely terrible situation from Luis Roberts' standpoint. It's a disappointing one as well for someone who has so much talent, just doesn't. It's not being optimized or, or maximized right now. Rather, it's just a very frustrating stretch, topped off by yesterday's debacle or Saturday's debacle. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think. The main thing for me is my first reaction was I was annoyed that this happened, not just because obviously it was, however you look at it, Robert was in the wrong here, but also because I did feel kind of what Jordan was alluding to. I was one of those people who felt prior to Saturday's game that fans were being too harsh on Robert, which is not to say that he's been good at the plate lately. I mean, I'm as frustrated as you guys when you watch him have these non-competitive at-bats where he just looks like he's not even wanting to be there and swinging at pitches a foot out of the zone. But at the same time, I feel like you could say that about the majority of this roster in terms of not so much the not wanting to be there, but in terms of the bad production, especially lately, and just the complete cratering in terms of uh, comparing their numbers, say, from last season to this or from prior seasons to this. And I felt like he was getting maybe, I don't know, 40, 50% of negative comments that I that I read, that I hear, were about Robert prior to yesterday. And I was thinking, like, yes, he's been really, uh, really bad lately at the plate, but, like, there are other people who have also been really bad at the plate that are kind of getting a pass here. And then yesterday happened, and it's like, okay, well, he 100% deserves deserves flack for this. I'm not even going to pretend like, oh, like he's he's he didn't want to tell the manager because he wanted to play. That's so great. Like that that's Jordan already covered why that's why that's wrong. And at the same time, I think that it also reflects poorly on the coaching staff a little bit in the sense that if if Robert truly is injured or is is sore, if, if we're gonna you know go with that, that you have a player who doesn't feel comfortable telling that to you both before he's pulled from the game and even after. Like, that's just, again, it's, it's mostly on Robert. I'm not trying to act like it's all the coaching staff's fault, but that's still something you have to acknowledge is why do why do players potentially not feel comfortable coming to you about this? That was one thing I, I thought of. And it was also just kind of weird that the play happened and he goes out and plays half an inning in the field and then he gets pinch hit for it. Like, it wasn't the kind of thing where he was pulled immediately. The whole thing's just so bizarre. I guess that is the White Sox um, these days, but... Yeah, I'm. I'm not. I'm not happy with it. And and really quickly, I do. I'm still 100% a Lewis Robert fan. Like I don't. And I'm not trying to speak for either of you to say that you aren't anymore. But I'm seeing a lot of that too. Like you know, he was never good. I know. I know you guys aren't saying that. <laughs> but uh, in the long run, I still think he'll be fine. I still hope that his career, at least most of it, happens with the White Sox. But this is just an awful stretch. And he's clearly. I mean something just has looked off all season. And, and really ever since he had that weird injury last year where he was swinging one-handed, just something's looked off with him at, at the plate aside from that seven, 10-day stretch this year where he was hitting home runs. And I'm, I'm hoping that 
whatever it is, you know, someone talks to him. Because I, I don't know if it's mental or physical, obviously. Like Jordan said, we can only speculate. But I, I just hope he gets whatever he needs right now because it's clearly not a talent issue. It's clearly something with pitch recognition or maybe effort. Again, that's if it's effort, it's all speculative. But something's off, and I'm, I'm still confident it's a short-term thing, but it's really frustrating to watch. My... The, the hardest part for me... The, the part I struggled with was exactly what you said. Where, where does the coaching staff come in on this one? I, and even after all this stuff came out, I, I struggled to really find where the coaching staff's fault fits into this because I look at it from the standpoint of, you know, like if they didn't have the information he worked, Griffal worked off the information he was given. And, but then to your point, why did they not feel comfortable telling them that information? Did he just just not want to tell him so he could play in the game? I, it, it's a really weird situation. The more you sit and try and break it down, I think the if I'm a member of the coaching staff, I'm pretty pissed about how it makes me look in my first twenty, twenty five games, thirty games of my tenure, especially in Grafol's case, and and I'm pretty pissed that you know this situation unfolds as a whole in this way. I, I just, I still sit here and I struggle to figure out, okay, what exactly was Robert thinking by not saying anything? Like that makes nobody look good at the end of the day. And it drives me nuts that it's like, I mean, it, it's happened with it being Robert. And that's one thing. It, it, I think it'd be the same problem if it was, it would be the same problem if it was any other player that did it. It just happens to be someone who's getting, a lot of criticism recently because of his non-competitive at-bats. And I don't know. I really struggle with this one because it's exactly what you had said, Nick, and it's something I struggled with since it happened. Where does the coaching staff fit into all of this? I don't have a great answer for that. Yeah, you know, that part of it was something I didn't really fully consider when I heard about it when I saw this play out. But that is actually a pretty good point um, with the optics of how that looks on the coaching staff. Um, I guess like just my biggest thought is like Luis Robert, nobody knows Luis Robert's body more than Luis Robert. You know, Luis Robert needs to speak up to somebody, um, even if it's the training staff, you know what I mean? Like he's been pretty, he's worked with his training staff for a while now. You know, it's not like we just re, you know, overhauled the training staff last year with the coaching staff. And there are still coaches in the building that are familiar with Luis. Um, there was somebody he could have went to with this, you know, even if it's something where he maybe doesn't feel like he can come to Pedro Grafal. I don't know if he's comfortable or not, but that's actually an optic I didn't really quite think of. Um, I guess just to one of your points that you made, Nick, um, you know, with people going at Luis Robert for um, his stats, for how bad he's played and everything like that. See, I, I've I've always considered myself somebody who's pretty fair when it comes to the players. Um, you'll even see me ride or die with people who just end up getting DFA'd and stuff like that because I genuinely want a lot of these guys to to perform, not just for my selfish reason of being a White Sox fan and seeing the White Sox perform well, but because these I, I can tell when guys are dogging it and when they're not. And it's really it really sucks to watch from my perspective, see somebody struggle mightily when it's very obvious that they're putting everything they can into it and they just look more confused than they do anything else. And Luis Robert would get the benefit of the doubt, I feel like, with a lot of people if people were convinced he was giving it his all at all times. You know what I mean? It's one thing when you're struggling and you're playing hard. I feel like you can get, you'll at least for me personally, you'll get a lot more compassion from me with that. Like, like you, like I brought up Aloy Jimenez, he's struggling mightily at the plate right now. There's absolutely no denying that, but he's a guy that's just trying. I always see him trying really hard. Like the fact that he had the wherewithal to have the discussion with Luis Robert in right and center field, you know, to be able to kind of tell your teammate in that moment, even for with where he's standing as someone who's struggling too. That, that shows something. Andrew Vaughn, he's a guy at the plate who's always, always trying to get the best at bat that he possibly can. Does it always work out for him? No. You know what I mean? Even even a guy like Lenin Sosa, somebody who has struggled mightily every time he's played in a major league game, and uh, his stats reflect that. But is he a guy that I feel like is not trying at any point when he's at in a bat or when he's in the field? No. I don't have any question about that. That question lingers when I see Luis Robert play at times. And that's the problem that I think a lot of people have with it is this perceived effort. I really think 
that's where people are jumping on Luis Robert. And this situation only only really encapsulates all of it. You know, it kind of legitimizes a lot of people's concerns about that, especially when you hear Pedro Grafal specifically say the word hustle. You know what I mean? That uh, that that changes it a little bit. It kind of makes it like, okay, maybe 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 we're on to something. Maybe Luis really isn't giving it his all. So yeah, that's that's really where I stand with it. Like I, I'm with you, Nick. I I love Luis Robert. You know, I really do. I think he has all the tools in the toolbox to be an MVP player. You know that I. I feel like that's we kind of had that discussion from the second he was signed. You know what I mean? That this is this guy's going to just skyrocket to the moon. But when 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 that when that process is going a little bit slower, as somebody who's usually really uh, really patient with stuff like that, perceived lack of hustle is something that will bury you in the city of Chicago in the media in a heartbeat. Ask ask Jay Cutler <laughs> on the on the <laughs> on the other side of things. He could throw four touchdowns and he's still going to look like a miserable prick. But it's the games where he looks miserable and he's playing terribly that everyone's going to go at him and ask about it. And that's what I'm seeing with Luis, Luis Robert right now. I think it's more that than it is really his stats. Yeah, there, there's something there for sure. And he he definitely deserved criticism for his performance even before yes, even before Saturday. Like, I mean, when you're in whatever, whether well, five for 55 stretch or whatever, Jordan said, like, that's in a, in a vacuum, that's worthy of criticism. My, my, my issue is more that I feel like he wasn't in too much of it. And like you said, now Saturday's incident kind of legitimizes the criticism, and and it is you know he he did mess up. I think the the when you talk about body language and like looking like he want to be there, it's always difficult, like you said, because you know we're not experts, and some people always look miserable. But there is there's there's got to be something there, right? I mean, even when he was pinch hitting to the in Sunday's game, um, he he got on base and he got hit by a pitch, but the, he takes the pitch first pitch in the strike zone, then he swings at a pitch like a foot above the strike zone. Then he gets bailed out by the pitcher missing his spot and and hitting him. So, and 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 the whole time he you know he the swing was kind of half hearted. Like the take like felt like you even the pitcher knew he was in take before the pitcher was thrown. You can kind of just tell based on the way that Robert like set up and like the way he was loading up uh, to swing or in this case not swing. It, it's just difficult. And I again I don't know what it is, but I do remember twenty 2020, twenty 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 one when Robert was kind of on his hot streaks or even just on a, you know, normal streaks, basically it's anything but this. He's like, you know, he has a little flair sometimes, like he'll flip his bat or he'll exclaim. Like he's not he's not like one of those Moncada types who like other than like a very rare instance, like never shows emotion. Like Robert maybe he's definitely lower on the spectrum. Like he's not always he's not, you know, always like Tim Anderson, like, you know, always showing off how how he's feeling. But he'll he did it sometimes. And this year, even when he's making highlight reel catches or or earlier in the season when he was hitting home runs, it felt like he wasn't doing that. And again, it might be nothing. We might just be talking about something that doesn't matter at all. But I do totally understand why it matters to fans when you compound the fact that he's not playing well. And once again, going back to what I said before, I just, I don't know what it is. I mean, none of us know, obviously, but whatever it is, I I wanted to get figured out because he's just so talented. And this is one of the first seasons where so far, I mean, sure, he has this now, you know, leg soreness or whatever, but he doesn't have any major injuries. Like he's playing in all the games, and we've always said we just need to see a full season of Luis Robert, and everyone will know how good he is. And we're kind of—I mean, it's way too early to say we're going to get that, but like so far, so good, right? And the production just isn't there, and that's what's most upsetting. Because we know it should be there, and it's just not. I'm gonna be honest. I I push back at the idea that he's getting too much criticism. I think he's getting criticism. Level with, I'm trying to think how I want to phrase this, on par with the level of talent that he is. I, I don't expect Elvis Andrews to hit, so I'm not going to waste my breath when he doesn't. He when he does exactly what I expect him to do, like hit 200 and have like a 600 OPS. Like, yeah, that's what I expected from Andrews. Like, I, I didn't think he was this world-breaking signing. I don't think any of us did, and I think our expectations should be aligned with that. Luis Robert is. In terms of raw talent, a, a generational type talent, in terms of a true five tool athlete, I, he looks uninterested in some of his swings. I think of one of the home runs he hit in Pittsburgh, where he looked completely fooled. He just flailed at it and he put it into the right field seats. And everyone's like, oh, look how strong he is. Look how tough he or, or look how awesome he is. Like, that's the sort of just raw ability he has. And because of that and the expectations that come along with it, the criticism should rightly come along with it when you're going through this stretch. And it's not just that you're going through a rough stretch. It's that you're going through a rough stretch. 
you're making no adjustments to try and fix something. And you don't let, I think, again, we're all walking this line tightly. We don't want to say you don't care or you're uninterested, but you look like you're uninterested. And I don't, I don't want to say that's what any of these players are because we, we aren't in that situation. I think we've all been careful to say that. But when you're struggling and you're this generational type talented player and you feel uninterested and you're in this stretch where you haven't changed anything, that's the most frustrating thing. You're still flailing out of the zone. You're still flailing at sliders away. You don't look like you have an approach. High fastballs and sliders away are like his kryptonite, and that's all they'll throw to him. And nothing's changed. Whether that's a coaching staff issue, whether that's a player issue, I don't know. But I think when you when you talk about the criticism he gets, I, I think it's fairly fair. I, I I think for the talent you have, you're you should expect a little bit more criticism in those situations when you are not performing, especially when you're not showing any changes or or any attempt to make changes to to remedy the fact that you're struggling so much. I I. I I don't want again. I don't want to call out someone for saying they're not. They they don't care. It's just more so make adjustments, and that's the most frustrating part for me. Yeah, so I get where you're coming from. I do have a quick question for you because I'm kind of curious about how you think about this. So I do agree that I mean, obviously, I've said I agree that the criticism is warranted, and I get the argument you're making. You're saying that he's so talented that when he's playing like this and not making adjustments, it makes it more frustrating, and that's why the criticism is earned. It's kind of a somewhat similar argument to what people who were frustrated with Moncada made back in like 2021 when he was having a good season, but it wasn't like the 2019-level like superstar season, and people were saying, well, he was the number one prospect, so why can't he be that again? I don't want him to just be very good. I want him to be amazing. I, that, I know you like Moncada. Like, I'm not I'm not putting that word in your mouth, Jordan, but my, my question is... Um, yeah, like I, I get that you don't want to waste your breath on like Elvis Andrews or someone you don't have high expectations from. But would you say that somebody like Aloy Jimenez or uh, Lance Lynn or even Dylan Cease, not that he's been bad, but he just hasn't been nearly as good as people have, have expected. Would you say that they're like worthy of criticism, getting a fair amount of criticism or same thing for pretty much the entire bullpen other, other than gregory santos like that's just a question i had because i feel like i'm only seeing criticism at robert even before saturday and i feel like a lot of the team should really be getting it i don't know i'd have to look at how i I know i have been fairly partial towards criticizing robert um i i think it's fair to say yes you need to pass the criticism around or the not negative the criticism is the word i'll use the criticism across to everybody I think the biggest thing for me is the difference in the argument in, like, like for example, the 2019 versus 2021 Moncada. That was still a productive year. You could, you could make an argument that that was a productive year still. With Robert, it's not like we're arguing, oh, well, he's, his WRC plus is higher because he's walking more, and it's like, so it's like a different type of value. It's not like we, that was the kind of argument we were having with a guy like Moncada. So in this example, um, I think it's a little bit different. However, in terms of just general criticism, I think he's he's getting more again because it, and maybe it's harder it's, it's harder to judge when there's certain like like you can't really see adjustments from pitchers. You can try and see adjustments, you can't really. I think it's a good question, but it, it from a hitting perspective, it's are you just doing the same things over and over and over and over again that got you into the slump the first place and expecting them to get you out of it? Like, if you're doing that, I think that's where the criticism becomes incredibly warranted. Now, on the pitching side, that's a little bit harder to judge because it's not like, it's like, are you trying to throw balls? It's, it's. It, I think from the hitting side, that question is a little bit easier to answer. I will say my answer is the adjustments piece of it. It's one thing to be five for 55, and like halfway through that, you see them starting to tinker with some things or change some things. I don't see that from Robert. And I think that's why he's getting more criticism. And that I, that's why I think just the additional criticism might be warranted in this case. So <clears throat> this is actually a question I was going to have um, just, just quick because you kind of see it from the coaching side of things. Does Luis Robert come off like a guy who is trying to make it just on talent alone? Hmm. It's a great question. 
I don't think I can fully answer that question in a way that when this gets clipped up and then on Twitter and then I get I, I'm just for I'm it. just trying to be devil's advocate um, here. I wanna I do wanna make a preface, I'm gonna look directly at the camera and say this that I'm not better at anybody in the in major league baseball at what they do. <laughs> I can guarantee you that. It's just That's quite it, the hot take, dude. It, I know, it, it's wild. <laughs> I look I look like a freaking um a triple A DH hitter, but I pr- I promise you I'm not. Um I I just wonder because like you see guys kind of like I was talking about with the hustle point before, you see guys who are maybe not as talented who give 100%, you know, and from from a coaching perspective perspective you love those guys you know what i mean because like they're giving you your all and it's always kind of been like the old old homage where it's like i'd take a guy who doesn't have the talent who works hard compared to a guy with a ton of talent who doesn't work hard type thing and like, like I, this is all speculative this is us not knowing about how Luis robert is actually going and how the coaching staff feels about Luis robert and like i like i kind of made the aj point earlier like maybe Luis robert just this is how he looks when he plays baseball you know i we, we haven't seen enough of him to really know long term what that looks like but do, does it does it seem like with those swings like you were referring to the pittsburgh home run where he just kind of lazily swings and it's a fucking it's a bomb i apologize um but it's just a bomb over the wall is that something that kind of comes off like a guy that's just kind of rolling on talent? Cause that's, that's usually the types of things you see when it's something like that. And um, I, I feel like that could potentially be something. Um, I don't know. Like, like I said, this is all speculative, but. Yeah, of course. I mean, I think that you could argue that this year definitely is only getting by on talent just because I mean, the home runs, like, like Jordan said, the one in particular, he kind of just lucked into it. The defense has been great. No one, I don't think anyone should have criticisms about that. But on offense, yeah, he's definitely been getting by on talent. Even last year, you could argue it was the same. I think 2021 was different, where I don't think he was necessarily getting lucky that year, especially after he came back from the injury. I think that was truly, like, what a locked-in Luis Robert and, a, and fully healthy could look like. And I will say in terms of the um, your question like more directly, I do know that in the offseason, I mean, everyone who reads, you know, White Sox articles all the time knows this, that he was a frequent visitor to the um, White Sox coaching staff in Florida. Louis Robert was. He worked with them on hitting, uh, maybe not as often as like Oscar Corlos, who was there pretty much daily. But Robert still did go quite often. It's, like, it's not like he's, you know, going home in the offseason and, you know, playing video games or something and then rolling up spring training. Like, we know that he cares at least enough to, to work with the coaching staff and whatnot. But I understand why you're asking the question just because of the lack, lack of adjustments and because just year over year, you don't really see any improvement when it comes to identifying breaking balls. Like I thought we were going to see it this year. I thought in the Houston series, he actually was looking okay at that, at least at um, check swinging or, you know, realizing it. And then like, you can tell in his face, like, Oh, I shouldn't have this one at that. But then he just reverted back to the old Luis. So, I'm, I'm going to say no. I don't think he's the kind of guy who tries to get by on talent. Like, I do think off the field, based on the limited information we know, that like he cares and he puts in the work. It's just, for whatever reason, he gets on the field. And, and again, maybe this year this is different, but he gets on the field and he just really struggles with specific pitches. And and maybe he is the type, like you said, Duke, that just always looks this way since we haven't seen enough of him to really know. And I don't want to I don't want to paint him in that corner, Jordan. Go ahead. But I, I don't want to paint him in that corner. I just want to clear that up. Like, I I still really like Luis Robert. He's still one of my favorite favorite baseball players. It's just it's all we just want to know, and we just kind of want to toss everything out there to see uh, maybe this is a possibility. Like like even the coaching point earlier, that was an optic I didn't think about, and that's all I'm really trying to do. But go ahead, Jordan. No, I I agree with uh, Nick in that. I don't think you get to the major leagues by saying, I'm just going to try and rely on talent alone. I think what happens is a lot of times you can see him succeed. I I think large stretches that he puts together positively, a lot of them can just be on talent alone. I I truly believe that. He's quick. um, He's got quick hands, great bat speed, great defensively. uh, True five-tool player. So I think just... You, you can establish a baseline as a player in terms of what you can get by on just talent alone, whatever that tends to mean. It might, it'll change for each player. Just the most frustrating part, and I think, is the lack of adjustment piece, is where that is... I'm not saying he's trying to 
Like it's not like oh, I'm just gonna figure it out. It's more so along the lines of, you know, like I'm trying to think how I want to phrase this. I guess the lack of adjustments at the end of the day is the most frustrating part. It's when, and I think that's why these questions get asked is like, are you just trying to be like, Oh, I got this great swing. I'm strong. I'm quick. I can do it. I can do it with all that. These questions, I don't think he is. I think the lack of adjustments is what makes this question come up to, and Duke, you asked it, but I feel like there is a large percentage of fans who ask this question. Is like, is he just trying to get by in talent alone? Is it this and this? It's the whole, and it's not just this team. It's every single team who does it. The giving out big contracts before you've really proved it type thing. Are you, do you, you kind of check out? Do you just try and get by on the talent that got you that contract? And I think these questions persist for the players where you don't see those adjustments being made necessarily. And I think that's the most frustrating part is Nick, you said it perfectly. It's like, this is the year you'd think he'd make some of those changes to those breaking balls away or those fastballs up and in, and he hasn't made them. So that's why these questions persist. Do I think he's trying to do it on Tantalo? No. Do I understand why the questions probably persist? Yes, and I think it's the adjustment piece um, that allows people to be like, well, you're just getting bye-bye talent because you're doing the same things in 2023 that you were doing in 2020 and 2021. Like, that's why I think these questions continue to persist. So I I do think, in probably my, in like my grand defense of Luis Robert, I will say... Um, and this is something that I know of with a lot of baseball players that when you're struggling, sometimes it's worse to make an adjustment because it makes you kind of overthink the fact that you're struggling even more than you do. Um, a lot of it really is like a lot of it's mental when it comes to stuff like that, especially when you're in the batter's box. Um, you know, you see guys get the yips where they just fall off a complete cliff. You know what I mean? So like, it's something that's very real. Um, so, I mean, I, while I did ask that question, I do also want to like argue it by saying like maybe Luis isn't changing what he's doing because it did get him this far. You know, it did get him to where he's at right now. It did get him a Gold Glove. You know, a couple of years back, like it, 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 it's gotten him to where he's at. You know what I mean? This is a, this is a guy who was who was expected before the season even started to be somebody who was going to be a cornerstone of the franchise. You don't, you know, and, and to your point, Jordan, you don't get there on raw talent alone. And I think that is important. And that's why I kind of asked that question because I wanted, I wanted somebody to really kind of drive that home because I think people do get lost in that a little bit, you know, does it happen from time to time when you're a very talented player, obviously. Um, but I do really think Luis Robert is somebody who, you know, it potentially could be somebody that doesn't want to change up what's happening, even though he's struggling because he knows that he's had these peaks and valleys before in baseball, as I've said multiple times, and I'll continue to say over and over again, it might even get it on a t-shirt baseball is a game of peaks and valleys. You know what I mean? There's a lot of up and down. It's usually not a very uh, straight ride. You know, it's very, very, very much. Uh, and yes, that was your geographical breakdown for the day, uh, courtesy of Duke Coughlin. But um yeah, it's just it's something where it's going to be something to watch. You know, it's it's really intriguing. I think Luis will turn it around. I think uh, maybe this was kind of just a wake up call for him a little bit too. You know what I mean? Maybe he just kind of got the idea where it's like you know shit. I maybe I really can't just you know I can't dog it at any point. You know this team's losing. The optics of it are too bad right now. Um, if he makes that play when we're ten games above five hundred, probably not much of a story. But when we're sitting at what? Eight and twenty-one. I think we're currently sitting at today. It's very much a story. So, um, didn't want this turn in the whole Luis Robert podcast, but I think this is all important stuff. And I thought everyone here made some really great points. Um, and we'll continue to see how that is moving forward. But the White Sox just got a win today. We're going to be playing Minnesota this week. Um, I don't have a schedule in front of me. I don't know who we play after Minnesota. Just off the top of my head, but Minnesota feels like a pretty big series, pretty big get back on track type series. Um, a guy I'd like to see personally get it back on track is a guy like Michael Kopech. But who is who? What do you think gets the White Sox back to being comp- playing competitive baseball? Uh, um, Nick, I'll let you start right off top. Like, where do the Sox? Sure, yeah, back? and really quick, yeah, and they play they play Cincinnati by the way in Cincinnati after the Twins. Actually, but, everybody who's going to um, that game, I should have known that. But continue. <laughs> yeah, no, I, honestly, I had to look it up, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a good question. I I really hope that's the kind of thing where the one win, it just, you know, gets, like I said earlier, the weight off their shoulders and now they can just play loose because 
really there have been a lot of individual performances, even during the losing streak, just because of the way they're losing the game, have been losing the game. It's not like they're losing every game 15-2. to two. Like, Yeah, sure, there were some of those. But there were also some games where they had a lead and then they blew it. Or games where they pitched really well, but the offense didn't score. Like they, They've been playing different brands of baseball within the losing streak, but just haven't been able to win with any of them until Sunday. So I think that what I would like to see going forward, especially against Minnesota, is um, really just the, the approaches at the plate I think will be key because Minnesota has a lot of um, righty starting pitchers that all throw some you know slider or curveball, especially away or in the dirt a lot, especially against White Sox hitters. And their bullpen, they have quite a few guys who throw pretty high velocity and have a lot of different approaches from the from the uh, starters. Actually, I mean, as as you guys know, based on past episodes, I do really like their pitching staff. That's why I'm saying all this. But I think it'll be a good test for White Sox hitters. They've faced this team once before in Minnesota. And I just want to see the team really lay off on those pitches out of the zone and, and really focus on getting their pitch to hit, working the count. Kind of the same stuff we've been saying, but especially now, I would like to see them do things that are more sustainable going forward rather than just you know, banking on a ninth inning rally like today. Because that was great, don't get me wrong, but that's not going to happen there every game. So uh, take some walks, basically, is what I'm saying. And from a roster standpoint, I think that uh, with Anderson and Hansel Alberto coming back, and I think Joe Kelly said he's due to go on, on the uh, paternity list pretty soon. There'll be a lot of moving pieces. I don't really know what to do there in, <laughs> just because there are so many options. I mean, you could send down Romy Gonzalez or Lenin Sosa or... Uh, the pitching staff, there are so many options. But I, I think that what I would just really like to see is some sort of consistent lineup. It's not Pedro Griffo's fault that it hasn't been today because it's mostly been injuries. Although, honestly, he's done a pretty good job of keeping it consistent given the injuries. So I'd like to see some sort of uh, like a, a true like seven or eight players that are there every day. I mean, knock on wood that they don't get hurt again. But it would just be really nice to just not be waiting for the lineup to drop every day and wondering, like, where is this guy going to be moved around to? Or, like, is Robert still going to be in the top three? Like, that kind of thing, you know? Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me this week is this is almost like a make or break week as we start May. You know, if you're gonna be serious about getting back into this, you gotta have a five and one week, pretty much. You have to probably sweep Cincinnati and you have to take two of three from Minnesota. I don't see a way where we're not at mid May and, you know, if they haven't turned this around in a couple five one four and two type weeks, mid May is going to be like, all right, who do we sell off at the deadline? You know, are are there upper level front office changes to come? They don't have the luxury of time, and it's really weird to say that, but you can bury yourself real fast. They already have; they're thirteen games under five hundred. You, you you have to slowly dig yourself out of this, and you can't afford to have a bad week. So. It's this is going to be the same message every week at this point on these podcasts. Every week is going to be a must-win week. You have to win the game, and then you got to win the next one, and the next one, so on and so forth. I'm curious to see what they'll do with the roster. Um, I'd like to see Lenin Sosa end up staying here. I don't think he's someone who should lose out to at-bats to Elvis Andrews. I think he probably will. I think Romy Gonzalez also is a casualty. Um, I think Hazley will end up staying just because he's played pretty well in very limited sample sizes. But given that Hans Roberto made this roster, I don't think we're shy about using small sample sizes uh, so far this year. I also want to see an update from Yohan Moncada. I think it's something we haven't been able to touch on a ton because there haven't been a ton of updates. He's got the same sort of injury that ended Joe Creedy's career for the most part. Like This is a scary concern right now. And any positive update we can get is highly preferred. Because it's it's a scary thing right now to just hear from a fan perspective. And Rick Hahn was pretty serious in, in terms of his update for Moncada. And you see him working, you see him grinding, that's a good thing. But it's a, a serious level of concern. So as this team continues to have must-win game after must-win week, as this just continues to stretch on, how long will he be out to? Um, but again, I think the overarching theme is you've got to win... Five out of six of these games, if you don't want every other podcast from here on out to be like, all right, who could they sell off to? Who would this go to? What went wrong? How do you fix this? So on and so forth. Yeah, and um, to the Yoan Mankata point as well, I, I think people really lose sight of how well he was playing before he got injured as well. 
Um, and he did take grounders yesterday at guaranteed rate field before the game. So that is, that is a positive sign, certainly a sign in the right direction, but, uh, definitely something to keep an eye on. Um, Tim Anderson coming back during this week is going to be monumental. It's going to say a lot about where this team is going to go. Um, and I think his, him being gone and away from the team, you know, you can almost make a direct correlation that we just stopped winning games when Tim Anderson was gone. Not necessarily that he was winning games by himself or anything like that, but I do think him as a presence in the clubhouse is something that's very important to the chemistry of this team. Um, you know, as as I've said before, he's the, he's the straw that stirs the drink at the top of the lineup for me. Um, he's a he's a tone setter. He's a guy who can get everybody up. He's a guy who can get everybody going. Um, he's somebody who's not without his struggles on his of his own, but he's just almost like a consistent kind of calming presence in the room. You always kind of know what you're going to get out of Tim Anderson on a day by day, week by week basis. Jordan is someone, you know, you coach, you coach a baseball team. That that's it. That type of stuff is important. Having the, having those guys that just kind of get everybody going, that keep everybody up, that uh, kind of really keep everything rolling is very important to a clubhouse. And with the White Sox clubhouse, with the way it is right now, they desperately need Tim Anderson back, and they desperately need Liam Hendricks back, who is a guy that injects energy into everybody that he's around. You know, I I think that's obvious. When you're at a baseball game and you see Liam Hendricks on the mound, the entire vibe changes. And I think that that changes in the locker room as well. And I think that's somebody that they're going to be very excited to have back. Um, and those are three big guys. Yoel Moncada, Tim Anderson, Liam Hendricks. Those are huge pieces to the franchise that have been missing during this losing streak. Um, you know, obviously with Liam the whole year so far. Um, and I think that can't be understated. And I think uh, with Tim Anderson coming back, hopefully that injects some life into this team and we start rolling. You know, even even if we don't go 6-1 and one like, you, like you said, Jordan, beating the twins in a series just sounds delightful to me that's a way that if you want to get me to buy back into this team fairly quick that's probably a good way to do it not saying it's going to happen considering we haven't won a series yet um but that would be a good one to start with but anyway ladies and gentlemen that's all we have for this week for the socks on 35th podcast be sure to subscribe to the podcast on apple spotify youtube and anywhere else you get your podcasts also be sure to check out the website at SocksOn35th.com, as well as following us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at SocksOn35th to stay up to date with your Chicago White Sox. This has been Duke Coughlin, joined as always by Jordan Lazowski and Nick Gower. We will be back next week as we cover another week of White Sox baseball. Carlton Fisk tried to warn us about Jerry Reinsdorf in 1993, and we didn't listen. Thank you, and go Sox. Go Sox. Go Sox. Go Sox.